0: Welcome to Ad Exchanger Talks, the podcast devoted to examining the issues and trends in advertising and marketing technology
1: that matter most to you. This episode was brought to you by AdsWiz. AdsWiz is the technology engine that has been powering the monetization of audio content worldwide for over 15 years. AdsWiz provides solutions for audio publishers, podcasters, and advertisers of all sizes.
2: Welcome to Ad Exchanger Talks. I'm Allison Schiff, and this week we'll be talking about privacy with Rashi Ariat Gupta, a digital marketing expert who's fresh off of a two-year stint at the Federal Trade Commission. She was brought on board as part of the FTC's effort to get in the weeds on ad tech. The commission is increasingly willing and able to roll up its sleeves and look under the hood of what's happening across programmatic pipes. Rashi has a lot of insight into what makes the FTC tick, which she's parlaying into a newly founded consultancy focused on privacy and advertising. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about notice and choice, the FTC's agenda, why self-regulation hasn't seemed to work all that well for the online ad industry, and a lot of other stuff. But before we get started, it's plug our events time. AdExchanger's upcoming Programmatic I.O. is taking place May 15th through the 17th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. It's the premier conference for digital marketers, and the agenda is full of really good stuff and great speakers from Wells Fargo, Bob Evans Farms, Advertiser Perceptions, Jounce Media, Group M, Group Black, IAV Tech Lab, Goodway Group, Salon, Roku, and many more. Podcast listeners get 10% off their tickets using the code POD10. That's P-O-D-10. So head to programmatic.io to learn more and register. Hope to see you there. Rashi, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Allison. Very nice to be here.
2: So I'm going to kick off by asking for one fun fact about you—something that not a lot of other people already know. I, I know some interesting things about you, and we're <laughs> going to get into them, but maybe not—not—not not, not even advertising-related.
0: Oh yeah, I guess I guess the social media are an open book now, right? But I guess one thing that's probably not out there anywhere is. Uh, my first career was a failed career I was a fashion designer for a second and I did not thrive
2: (laughs) what did you focus on what was your style
0: it was more like fusion uh like Indian and and western sort of design ethics and uh, I went to fashion school back in India and that was sort of like my dream but I quickly realized it's I, I'm not I'm not creative enough to make a living out of it. So I just quickly pivoted,
2: so you just dress well. I'm sure you dress well. <laughs> no, I think so. <laughs> I, I might have to ask you for some tips offline. Um, well, so I, I was going to say that your personal journey is very interesting from an advertising perspective, but it also has this other interesting origin. But, if we're gonna talk about your actual you know, LinkedIn profile, you've spent a lot of years, nearly 20 years in advertising and ad tech. You were with Essence, Newstar, Volkswagen in the US, Digitas back in the day. And then you spent two years with the FTC as a White House presidential innovation fellow, focusing on privacy and ad practices and not to uh, steal your thunder, or to brag, but (laughs) I played a little bit of a a role in your path to the FTC. Funnily enough, uh, we didn't know each other at the time at all, but in the spring of 2020, the director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection, who I knew, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do a story about how the FTC was looking for people who really understand the digital advertising world to come and spend some time, about two years, at the agency to help educate the staff and the commissioners on all of these issues. That The headline of that story was, FTC seeks ad tech pros to bone up on the quote-unquote opaque business of digital advertising, which is a little wordy, but, um, but you ended up reading that story, applying, and then getting it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it comes full circle, right? So it started with the article, and thanks to you, you've made a positive impact in the in my sort of this little journey segment of my professional journey, and now we're here talking about my experience and reminiscing on sort of what I learned, what sort of insights I have. So so yeah, I mean it's been it's it's it was a super fun time, super interesting, uh, both sort of. From a learning perspective for me, but then also sort of building my um, sort of expertise where, as you mentioned, I've been in the industry for quite some time, and I've been fortunate enough to play on all sides of the ecosystem, as we say it in the industry, inside speak, is brand side, Samsung and Volkswagen, then agency side, Digitas, Essence, AdTech at Newstar. And then I started doing my own consulting for a bit, and that's where I fell into privacy where it, uh, about like around the time of GDPR and clients were like wondering what it is, implementation of cookie banners under GDPR. So that's very tactically I fell into privacy and I just started to uh, embrace that topic and wanting to just get to know it more, more closely, understand it better. And uh, part of me wanted to bring this uh, um be at the intersection of advertising, marketing, and privacy. And I think the article really sort of was a, a sort of almost like manifested that dream for me where I got that opportunity and I applied and my friend Adam sort of pointed out to pointed that opportunity to me and and there and and I landed at FTC and my focus there was squarely on ad practices and privacy. And I touched both sides of the house, both consumer protection and competition.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about that, a day in the life of you, um, you know, for those two years, it was, uh, I think, 2020 to just this past October. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Now you're doing the consulting thing again, which we can talk about in a bit. But what exactly did they have you looking into? What kind of research were you doing? And you know, what sort of questions were you helping you know, the commissioners and staff answer and learn about at the FTC?
0: Yeah, so I anyway, think I would say my very first project or engagement, as the article suggested, and as sort of um, you know, sort of they wanted to really understand how the ad ecosystem works, how the players interact with each other, what's on the front end, what's on the back end, so. My big focus was education and trying to sort of help FTC staff sort of up level their understanding of the real world business practices as related to advertising and marketing. But but from there on, my focus became um, a subject matter expert on topics that touched both ad practices and privacy. So the work sort of came to me in different shapes and sizes. So investigations and enforcements, helping them strengthen that work. Uh, Second was in the policy front, both rulemaking, market research, workshops, uh, external engagement. And then um, third piece was really more uh, elevating and making the agency a bit more forward looking. So, Understanding and spotting trends, tech sprints, leadership briefings on topics that are new and upcoming and unknown and sort of uncharted territory. So, given sort of like, this is a broad remit, but I think how it sort of became more actionable for me was because it was rooted in the um, areas of ad practices and privacy. So, given this, the variety of work that I was able to touch upon, like no day was the same. It was super exciting. I didn't know what was in front of me uh, every morning, and um, it just sort of really helped to see the breadth and the depth of different issues, different uh, perspectives, different ideas, and different sort of outcomes that come out.
2: What's really interesting about the time that you spent with the FTC, to me, and there are a lot of things that are interesting about it, but... One thing that sometimes people in, in advertising and marketing will criticize regulators for is not really considering the business point of view and not thinking about how things actually work, not asking the question of business, but it seems like you were you know, an effort in that direction to be liaison in a way for their brains <laughs> to connect more to the business side of things or to fully understand that.
0: Yeah, I, I would commend uh, commend FTC to sort of taking that effort and making that point to bring in. Uh, it could be me, it could be anybody, but bringing in somebody from the industry who has been in those shoes, who's gotten their hands dirty, who knows sort of what what's what, and wanting to learn. I think that's a big change uh, from what the legacy organization may have been to what the present is. And I've had conversations while my time there was like when we're making any sort of guidance on rulemaking or business guidance or anything, right? Whatever they're saying, is this going to have a long shelf life? Is this going to impact business in a negative way? Is it hampering sort of the general course of conduct or business that's needed to do sort of the basic things that companies need to do? Is there more that they need to look into? They have to weigh in the pros and cons of every every guidance and every policy statement that they're making and what does that mean from a business perspective and if it's actionable or not. Because one thing is you want to be strict and, and um, aggressive in what enforcement agencies, regulators want to say and do, but at the same time, is it going to stick? And end of the day, their mission is to, Protect consumers, yes, but also promote business. So they have to weigh in on both sides. It can't be singularly focused.
2: There is also this perception that lawmakers and regulators aren't really technical enough to like just tackle the complexities of technology, particularly ad tech, which just moves really quickly. And you could sort of cue some jokes about the ham-fisted questions from members of Congress, um, if you recall some of those tech-focused hearings. Um, But I mean, that really is not the case, uh, and increasingly not the case. For example, you know, you existed, you exist. Mm -hmm. And there's also the FTC's new Office of Technology, which really, I think, just keeps going with your remit and like makes it really a part of the ongoing um, focus that the FTC will have
0: yeah yeah as I said I think there is a there's a sort of a wind of change happening um, and it, it may have started sort of like in 2020 or the, even before me they have been technologists at FTC uh, but they I would say uh, it's a much uh, in 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 um, very limited number. But I really saw this firsthand is the technologies that were that are at FTC or that were FTC even prior to me, the the widespread knowledge and the and the variety of disciplines that came from. And then while my time there, obviously I'm an example of how I ended up there. But then the newly formed office of technology and the colleagues that I worked with at FTC, range from AI experts, con- computer scientists, security engineers, data engineers, human-centered design folks. So there is a much bigger emphasis and a desire to be more um, technology-focused, f- uh, to be more uh, technology-ready uh, and uh, be able to have a build a change culture inside and out. And um, even, I think... You brought up Congress recently, I've also outside the FTC, even in on the Congress congressional front, I've seen a, a positive change where some of the recent testimonies in different hearings, especially around the privacy federal privacy law ADPPA, have they have invited in ad tech privacy preserving application um, sort of companies to talk about how they are thinking of things, how they are sort of trying to build different um, principles within their design, in addition to consumer advocates and regulatory agencies. So I think overall, there is, it's a slow-moving change, but the change is happening. And uh, going back to the Office of Technology, I was one of the founding members of the office before it was finally approved and announced. So I've seen that form in its current shape from the ground up. So definitely there is there is a momentum of uh, and a desire towards being more tech tech ready tech friendly.
2: And by the same token I think it's actually dangerous for people in the ad tech world on the business side <clears throat> to assume that regulators don't necessarily understand because there is the appetite there and you know even if maybe Everybody, you know, at the FTC can't exactly explain the intricacies of the supply chain. And I would also challenge some people who work in the industry to do it. Uh, There is a desire to dig in. And so if there's some kind of complaint that's specific to a certain aspect of how ad tech functions, even if they don't necessarily have already the knowledge of how whatever that issue is, functions, they'll dig into it and roll up their sleeves and, uh, you know, really, really kind of just zero in on it.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think there is, as I said, there is that desire and that momentum and that sort of honest effort that goes into it in leveraging internal resources that they have and also sort of external resources, government-wide resources. There are different mechanisms widely speaking within the government where you can tap into uh, resources um, across the government who can help you sort of strengthen your uh, knowledge base or sort of chip in and things like that. So there is definitely a a big uh, push around it and and an acknowledgement for bringing bringing in the knowledge and that knowledge can come in in different ways and through different mechanisms And I would say I think just to your point, we can challenge regulators uh, and say they don't know enough or they want to dig in. At the same time, I feel like our industry, ad industry has been so complex and so opaque that you can have a similar challenge as like not everybody in the industry knows everything either. So I think that's that's on both sides, but there is definitely uh, a big movement, a big push towards being more educated.
2: And we've seen it translate into enforcement actions and an increased focus on, you know, third party pixels, for example. So how how vulnerable are publishers, advertisers, ad tech companies, pretty much everyone in the supply chain right now in terms of how their partnerships are set up and how data is being shared between, you know, a publisher and a platform or up and down the chain?
0: Yeah, I think that, that definitely has created a lot of um, swirl, a lot of ripple, and um, FTC's made a clear stance that third-party pixels are risky. And that applies to everybody, not just the two companies that were called out in the, in the actions. So I would say it's like if, if a company, if, if you um, as a listener continues to not know what your pixel is up to, then you can find yourself in trouble, and it's both your pixel. Like, what is your pixel doing? If you're implementing it in different places, what does it collect? Why does it collect? And where does the data go? To third-party pixels that you can, that you may put directly on your site as an advertiser putting an ad tech pixel, or maybe pixels that you are piggybacking off of. So it it's, it goes pretty wide. It's just the and and just to elevate the concerns that with pixel with pixels are like one, the widespread use of pixels has become like an industry standard. So it's it's become a norm. Everybody uses it. Everybody it's a default. Two, it pixels tend to be very invisible to consumers, hence they don't really have a control or choice over them and they can't say, I'm not gonna let it fire or I'm gonna allow this and not allow that. Third, it's like there are numerous type of um, data that can be collected through these pixels. Personally, identifiable data that's collected and shared, so that's a concern. And lastly, some of the techniques that are used with pixels, like caching, they they sort of, we all know, they can be reverse engineered. So those are the concerns, some of the concerns with pixels that... Um, FTC and regulators sort of tend to have, and even and that's not it, right? There is there is a lot more things that are unknown or being researched. Whether pixels are providing competitive advantage or a business advantage, this could go to both consumer protection as well as competition areas. Is there what are the data processing usage and monetization? outcomes of these pixels that can be both first party and third party pixels, what is the data retention and management uh, policies and measures uh, used along with these pixels? And, and, and furthermore, the list goes on. So I think to your question, it's everybody has to take a hard look, whether they are in a first party position or a third party position. It's, really, it's such a
2: good point that you made, and um, I've written about this here and there that like good RX and better help two companies that the FTC zeroed in on um, for their third party pixels. They happen to be health related companies, but it would be a really bad idea um, for any company in the ad tech world to say, oh, well, I don't handle sensitive health information, so I don't really have to worry about being scrutinized or hearing from the FTC at some point, it really applies to everybody.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think health health companies or healthcare is probably a little bit top of mind and could um, sort of temporarily make folks think like that's the area of importance because of these cases. But then there's also... Uh, From a state perspective, like Washington State's New Health, um, my my data, my health act, and then also just announcement by uh, on the HIPAA side where they are uh, opening up the the um, HIPAA Privacy Act for for rulemaking and, and possible changes. So I think various sort of actions in this front make make it feel like this is all about health, but the underlying message is that it's not just health companies, it could be any company that has consumer data. And the restrictions and guidance that has been shared applies to any and all companies that collect data, use data, or share any of the personal or sensitive data. And um, I think I would further add to this is some of the Sort of priority areas that tend to be uh, a focus uh, are health, but then children's data is always a big cons- cause of concern. Location data is another area, so I think there are different areas which may not be something that is a recent enforcement action uh, has been announced, but this applies to all of them, and those are examples where their priorities lie and uh, even beyond the priorities it's a it's a application and a cause of concern across the board
2: so one more question before we hit our sponsor break but how does the regulatory world like everybody outside of ad tech how do they perceive ad tech like how does the ftc perceive the ad tech industry do lawmakers think that ad tech and all of the data collection that really that underpins it and makes it hum that that's dangerous. And also, uh, and I I kind of feel like the answer is yes-ish. So my other question would be, like, what can the industry do to change that perception?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's no fault of anybody, but it's just how the industry has evolved where it's become so complex. Even when anybody in the industry, when you think of ad tech, you think of LumaScape and you think how many layers and players are there and who's doing what, and everybody has different roles to play. So there is this notion of complexity. And then, second is opaqueness. I think people outside the industry, feel like it's a black box, it's very opaque, you don't know what's going on, you don't know how you're being tracked or or um, what data is being collected, where the data is going. There's a lot of free flowing of data, it feels uh, to some extent, n- not now in the current times, but probably like five to 10 years before, uh, very much sort of like a wild wild west, like it's free, data is free for all. And then that has led to this idea of surveillance and how um, a lot of the tracking is cross-context, cross-device, and building this dossier uh, about people which are super rich and give you so much information and detail. So I think those are that's the perspective uh, or uh, the perception that folks outside the industry have. And to your second point about what can... Industry due to change. I think it, it may sound a little bit sort of preachy, but there is you kind of have to reverse that narrative, reverse that those practices to some extent by being more transparent, being more accountable. Privacy is um, privacy and data security is one of the ways for you to sort of embrace that those principles, embrace those practices and really be forthcoming and really be more forward thinking in terms of evolving the industry to be more data, data, data responsible, have data dignity, have data sort of practices that are rooted at its core, um, as opposed to just sort of doing the compliance checkboxes.
2: I mean, it may be preachy, but it's preachy to the choir. I mean, I agree <laughs> with you. So um, we're gonna take a quick sponsor break, but when we're back, we're gonna keep with this theme of transparency and how to get there and how to build trust. Cause we'll be talking a bit about Rashi's new privacy focused consultancy called Uplevel. And we'll also talk more about notice and choice and self-regulation. Uh, lots of hot topics. So stick with us.
1: This is Sarah Sleuse, Executive Editor with Ad Exchanger. I have with me here Anne Frisby, SVP of Global Business Development for AsWiz and a lover of digital media. Anne, Tell me about AdSWiz's customers and how your technology is supporting them. AdSWiz is the technology engine
3: powering the monetization of all types of digital audio content from streaming to podcasts. Given this is a podcast, it might be fun to know that AdSWiz served the first dynamically inserted podcast ad in 2012. Today, our technology powers podcast advertising for billions of monthly downloads. Our podcast advertising technology starts with a content management system where creators host and distribute their shows and get in-depth analytics about their listeners. Our advanced ad serving platform supports all types of podcast advertising, and our supply side platform gives podcasters the ability to control the yield of their ad inventory across direct sales, marketplace revenue,
1: third-party demand partnerships, and programmatic sales. Speaking of podcasts, and of course, you're on our podcast, I feel like so many advancements have happened within podcast advertising in the past year. What are some of the major highlights for you? As we all know, content is what makes podcasts so engaging.
3: And two podcast ad tech advancements leverage the power of podcast content. One is predictive audiences, which uses podcast content signals to better identify audiences in a way that is scaled and future-proofed when it comes to the ever-changing landscape of identity and privacy. Another content-driven advancement is brand safety targeting, which is based on analyzing podcast transcripts to enable brands to run against the type of content that matches their brand safety guidelines.
1: The last time we spoke, we talked about the state of programmatic buying for podcasts and the steps it was taking to get off the ground, specifically the increase in premium content. Where would you say we are today? The good news is that a majority of top
3: shows and premium podcast networks are available for programmatic buying today. The appetites from brands for these premium podcasts is very strong, and programmatic is really bringing in new advertisers to podcasts. The amount of digital audio programmatic buying that our publishers are executing through the AdsWiz supply-side platform grew 30% year-over-year in Q1 alone, and that growth rate is accelerating.
1: Well, thank you, AdsWiz, for supporting our podcast, and thank you, Anne, for joining us. Thank you so much, Sarah.
2: We're back and we're going to talk about up level. So now now that your time with the FTC is finished, uh, talk a little bit about what you're working on and the types of companies that you're working with, the needs that they have. I mean, I imagine that they want to pick your brain about how
0: the FTC
2: ticks and how that affects their business.
0: As you said, I just wrapped up my term at FTC and given sort of what we talked about in terms of my experience and my background, it really sort of like comes from two sides. One is advertising and marketing as a business, as a practitioner, uh, and then privacy and FTC. So up-level is basically my way of bringing together these two experiences and assisting companies to really enable data privacy practices from inside out. So what that means is, how can how can I enable them? How can I empower them to really make a change uh, in different ways? One is simplifying the complex world of uh, privacy and regulation so that they can, marketers, advertisers can confidently plan and know that what they are thinking about doing is going it, to, it's going to comply. It's, it's, it's in line with what the laws and regulations ask for. And secondly, helping them operationalize privacy internally, because we have to accept the fact that the privacy and marketing are sort of at, a, at a, always at our friction because they are two separate sort of pieces of the uh, pieces of the puzzle. They all have their own principles and agendas and needs and business requirements. So there, there, is, a, there is this bit of a friction and by operationalizing some of those ways of working internally uh, and helping companies sort of build processes and and programs that can um, help with marketing and advertising to continue for them to do testing and innovation, but then also build internal collaboration on the legal and the privacy side. And then third is helping companies prepare for a privacy first future so that they can achieve their short-term and long-term goals. This could range from data strategy and marketing strategy and planning to helping them sort of evolve their tech portfolio, tech stacks so that they are optimizing the things that they have in place today or the things that they wanna do in future. And those are, as they are investing in them, they are, they are definitely kept in mind from a privacy perspective. Um, and, and all these things apply to both brands, agencies, as well as consumer platforms. So really, uh, we work agnostically with, um, companies, uh, and they can range from, as I said, different consumer brands to consumer platforms, to agencies, ad agencies. Some of the questions that I feel, uh, that I tend to get is very sort of general, um, what does FTC look like? What do they think about? What do regulators think about? Um, some of the topics that we ca- ca- talked about here in our podcast, to more macro landscape questions about privacy, consumer data, and how it applies to marketing and advertising, and what are some of the do's and don'ts, to being more specific in terms of how do we build collaboration with our internal uh, privacy and legal teams? How do we conduct privacy reviews on uh, marketing side? How can marketing be more privacy uh, focused and still able to do and deliver what they're supposed to do? And then um, some questions are very much more tactical in terms of what do we do from a a dark patterns perspective? What do we do from a pixel tracking perspective? So the questions range from a sort of very high level to be more more tactical and which and i i am uh, appreciative of these questions because that's that reflects the nature of where different businesses are in their cycle and some are mature some are new to the to the topic so if, if having a broader perspective and having and being able to help people where they are is what sort of um is the is the benefit and the sweet spot of up level
2: So how do companies, what would be like advice for a company that comes to you to build trust with people if, you know, that company may have arguably already lost trust, right? Like you just, you hear people talking often about building trust with people or building trust with their customers, but it almost to me seems less about Building trust and more about regaining trust, which is a lot more difficult if you just think about interpersonal relationships, right? I mean, you you trust people until you don't trust them. And then to get the trust back is really hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, the analogy you use is is spot on. It's a it's like interpersonal like relationship, uh, sort of analogy to trust, even if you're talking about trust between businesses and consumers is um, you have to earn trust. And trust is not given, you have to earn it. So especially when you are trying to regain trust, it's, or even if you are new, uh, and just sort of establishing that relationship, it doesn't happen overnight, it's going to take time. And no matter where you are in the life cycle of the company, the best thing you can do is start now. If you have lost trust, you have to start now if you are just starting out, you have to take those, uh, those small baby steps now. And it's going to be a marathon of actions. Uh, Privacy and trust is not a sprint by any means. One press release or one sort of mea culpa, if you had a data breach is not going to cut it. It's not a one and done thing. You have to constantly sort of show the actions. It's, it's more show, not just tell. And, um, there's This requires change management internally. Yes, we talk about a lot of privacy principles and a lot, lot of privacy practices, whether they are on the front end or the back end, but it really inherently comes down to change management internally, and which is a combination of lots of actions and, and lots of small wins. To do this right, companies really have to think about privacy and trust from inside out and embrace some of the principles of again this is something that's not brand new we all have heard it like transparency security accountability and 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 being more data responsible so those are some of the key key pillars to this change and it's it's definitely has to come from the core and a true change only happens uh when it's transpired in all sides of the business. So, what I mean with that is from a legal perspective, you're going to look at compliance. From a product perspective, privacy by design principles. From if you are looking at your website, are there fair patterns, plain language being used for your notices? Are these consumer friendly? Are they designed to user experience? Uh, in your advertising, are you using a consent based data strategy uh, to really inform? What are you going to do? What tactics? How the data? What tactics? What targeting are you going to put in place, and how are you going to measure Uh, from a consent management uh, perspective? Is it is it user centric design, and so forth? So these are just some examples of no matter where um, a stakeholder is in your organization, everybody has a role to play, and and trust won't just come. Uh, immediately, it's going to take time and commitment, and it's going to have to um, have a lot of patience and perseverance if you are in that situation where you do win back people.
2: But its I, I think it's even more difficult than what you've laid out, which is hard enough, because some of the core concepts that the advertising industry has relied on are coming under fire and being questioned, like notice and choice, for example, which has taken a lot of flack recently. I mean, you made the point that companies, businesses have to present their data collection practices in a clear way, in a transparent way, in a way that people can understand. By the same token, you know, privacy policies need to be very exact and they need to withstand the scrutiny of lawyers. And if you're going to do that, they become very long and unreadable by regular yeah. humans. Not that lawyers aren't humans, depending on who you ask, whatever. But but yeah, you have people ultimately bombarded with these complicated cookie notices. So h- how do you actually get there, right? I mean, what, one, what would be a better option than notice and choice. And two, how do you get there when there's this push and pull? You as a business have to be as you know, detailed as possible and lay out everything just in case a regulator comes knocking, but you also have to be understandable to regular people. And those seem like opposing forces.
0: Yeah, and you said it like it's, it's, it's become a lot of... of, a lot, lot of Legal domain pri- uh, primarily, and no fa- no offense, uh, but i, I haven't I have yet to find anybody outside of privacy and legal domain uh, who reads privacy policies. and And we all know the reason why is it, that is the case is because they are lengthy. they're long, they're cumbersome, they're they don't make sense. And theoretically, the concept of notice and choice is supposed to give control and information to people but it doesn't work that way and it has its limitations and we've all sort of seen that. But then I think there are other alternates, but I would Abby, I would caveat that, but n- there is no silver bullet. Every, every alternate is going to come across um, with its own sets of limitations. So some of the things that have been um, sort of voiced in general are Is there better consumer education that's going to solve this? But again, that is needed, but at the same time, you can't just put all the burden on the consumers. Uh, Corporate data governance and responsible data use policies and practices that we talked about, it it does require uh, internal change. It does require companies to really understand and and embrace the the principles and, and the need for privacy. Regulations, so notice and consent. We know sort of where it came from, and uh, and we know how it doesn't really do the job. So regulations need to have more uh, a requirement for more meaningful and informed consent. So that's the part that regulations have to play. Researchers have sort of shared a lot of sort of insights and experimental uh, and have experimented with like alternate design techniques. So is it nutrition labels that are more easy to understand and and, uh, comprehend? So there is that design aspect, adopting different principles from a privacy perspective as it relates to data minimization, retention, deletion, purpose limitation. Is that sort of, again, comes back to requiring um, product development, ex- uh, um, platform development that is rooted in privacy by design, privacy by default principles. Just-in-time notices, again, there's there's constant talk about like how can we make them easy and understandable and shorter and concise and serve them when they're needed, be top of mind, be more transparent. Um, the last thing I would say is, and the list goes on, is leveraging technology, That could help manage choices. So, global privacy control, for example, is a area in this is is a is a is is application in this domain. And more and more state bills and law and laws that state laws and bills that are coming up every 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 day are requiring this um, implementation. So, again, none of them in essence are um, a a, a absolute solve, but All of these components sort of put together sort of start to give, are sort of necessary to give that more holistic uh, way of communicating um, and uh, educating the consumer and making making the system better.
2: I know you're busy with up-level, but I just had a really, maybe good, really, or really bad business idea, if you want to come in (laughs) with me on it. So, someone with a really like lulling voice reading privacy policies with maybe some music in the background, very calming music to put children to sleep. That, what do you that think? Will
0: work. That <laughs> replace replace white noise apps. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, yeah. all right, I'm going to workshop that. I'll. Uh, I'll um, I'm in. I'm in. All right, <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're recruiting investors, listeners. Um. So this leads me to the question of why industry self-regulatory efforts, at least to my mind, kind of like ad choices, they seem to have failed rather spectacularly. And so what? why is that? I mean, my my thesis is that it was really too focused on the business side and really not focused on people at all. It was just about a ticking a box and a workaround and kind of just hoping for some kind of, I don't know, magic. (laughs) But it wasn't really, it wasn't really a solution. But like, why do you think self-regulation just hasn't really seemed to work for the online advertising industry?
0: Yeah, I would say even I have to say uh, kudos to you for trying it 47 times, but the magic still didn't happen. (laughs) Yes, that that's Hogwarts exact. ad. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think you you kind of laid it out very nicely the experience that you as a as a industry reporter sort of embarked upon, but then a consumer wouldn't have that patience to do this forty seven times and still realize it's not working. They'll do it once or twice and then say, "Okay, this doesn't work." And I think that's part of the reason why there is the the industry has um, g- gotten this uh, perception of about a black box, of opaqueness, of uh, being sort of um, complex is it's very, uh, from a consumer perspective, you've done it once or twice and it doesn't do the job. What it appears to do it creates an unfriendly impression. And that's the same thing with regulators, with advocates. So they are always looking for um, looking at how consumers are being treated by businesses. And this sort of feeds to the overall perception. And um, I think the other part you asked about is like this fails spectacularly. And as a as an industry person, I, I don't know also why this doesn't work. But to me, sometimes um, it makes me wonder is like, Okay, if an opt out is given, is it not shared with all the parties across the board who are supposed to be sort of honoring this opt out? If it was shared, then is that being neglected or not honored? Or if if there is an acknowledgement, but then there is a follow through back is missing, and that's why uh, the execution doesn't seem to work, and you kept seeing those Hogwarts ads over and over again. So I think it's it, it goes back to is on the on the front end it appears to do certain things, but there is definitely something missing on the back end. Techno, technologically, are we talk about pipes being connected? Where are where is the breakdown happening? So some of these efforts that we launch as an industry um, did, haven't haven't done the job that it appears to.
2: And then the online advertising industry gets stuck with a term like commercial surveillance. (laughs) Um, I mean, once the FTC started using it, not that surveillance advertising and related terms weren't in use, um, you know, here and there, really took off after the the ANPR um, was put out for public comment. The term commercial surveillance feels like it's here to stay. I mean, is the online ad industry simply stuck with that
0: for now? I think I would say it's stuck with it until the ANPRM is still active. (laughs) Uh, And I think the name basically stemmed from the practices in that seem very pervasive in nature. Um, The information is collected and it's very granular. It's cross context. It's builds this rich profiles about people. um, And there is not really a narrative uh, that has been brought to life uh, besides saying that ad industry powers the open internet or free internet uh, to sort of really point to practices that are contrary to the belief of surveillance. And on the flip side, I do think that this ANPRM opens an opportunity for the industry to learn of how it's perceived, how people think about it, how regulators think about it, what concerns are being voiced, and um, really start to move the needle towards correcting the perception and correcting the practices and sort of eventually sort of being on the right course of action.
2: I committed a sin in my question, by the way, I used a, a an acronym without spelling it out. So ANPRM, Advanced Notice of Proposed Rulemaking, which is part of a process the FTC is going through right now to see whether they might not create a new set of rules to enforce against certain commercial surveillance related practices. And that's what they named the ANPR when they put it out for public comment. Um, it was last year, I believe, right?
0: Yeah, it was uh, November of last year. November.
2: Uh, so we are we are coming toward the end uh, of our of our chat, even though I really do feel like there's a lot more to say. But you and I ran into each other in early April at the IAB's Public Policy and Legal Summit in DC. And there was a panel during which uh, Virginia Poe, she's the Director of Public Policy at the IAB, she asked uh, the group, which was made up of lawyers, including Michelle Rosenthal, she's a senior attorney in the FTC's advertising division, Virginia asked this group whether the FTC is quote-unquote anti-advertising, and the audience was like, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Woo And Michelle responded, you know, definitively, no, but the FTC is skeptical, like very clearly skeptical and concerned about deception and the potential misuse of data in advertising. Um, So rather than being anti-advertising, the FTC is pro-reasonable guardrails, which is I think kind of how she put it. But that question led to an interesting, you know, kind of side conversation toward the end of that panel about, like, what's left if you subtract or do away with all of the things that the FTC is concerned about and looking into as part of the ANPRM. I call it the ANPR. I didn't. I didn't realize rulemaking got it's, it's two words. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. That I learned. Um, But yeah, what what forms of media are considered like non-controversial that the FTC wouldn't be concerned about? Like, are we just going to be left with billboards, magazine ads, contextual and non-addressable linear TV?
0: Well, I'll give you the answer that I got when I asked the same question when I started at FTC, that there is no list of any sort. There is no like, approved media channels and these are the ones that you shouldn't go for. It's it's not that FTC is against um, advertising channels or uh, or the practice of advertising because as a, as I said earlier, their mission is healthy healthy competition and consumer protection. So they know that advertising and marketing is a key to doing business. It's a way of doing business, and companies have to promote their products and services and um, target consumers and. Um, they don't want it to be wasteful or anything of that sort, or not not or, not or have advertising that doesn't perform. It's not about picking favorites or making sort of like a selection list of any sort. It, anything they do is really based on evidence and factual gathering of information. So if whether channels are being used, the channels that are being used, are they causing any consumer harm? And that could be for multiple reasons. That could be because of how, uh, data is being used to enable those ads, how, um, ads itself can be misleading. And that's a, that's the area that, expet- uh, that FTC has always operated on is misleading claims or, or deceptive claims. So, um, it's it, so that's another sort of, if you think of advertising, it, that, that that can happen on TV, that can happen on magazines, that could happen online, that could be happening anywhere. So it's not about channels, it's about the mechanisms that are used on either the front end or the back end that are exploitative to consumer consumers and they cause consumer harm. And it could be, as I said, in various different ways and privacy being one of them. And it just happens to the to be the fact that, as advertising industry has evolved and sort of digital uh, channels have grown and really sort of it, it enhanced uh, different ways of uh, working and how data is being collected and tracked, and different mechanisms of cookies, pixels, fingerprinting, all the different sort of ways that we're able to track and target people and measure people. It's it's that underlying aspect of of how these technologies and data is being used and it morphs into different forms of media choices, media channels, whether it's dressable, whether it's contextual, whether it's retargeting, whether it's behavioral advertising. So it it really comes down to the output as opposed to this is this is it's it's not black and white.
2: Well, I mean, considering all of that, how would you distill one piece of advice for ad tech companies in particular to not just, like, survive this time, this very interesting time, we might say, for the online advertising industry, but also to do well, like to thrive? I mean, it's a tricky climate, but it doesn't mean everyone has to curl up into a ball.
0: Yeah, no, it's... it's a tricky climate, but then also it provides opportunity. And I think companies who embrace this opportunity and where opportunity is being more privacy centric, being more being more data responsible, being more consumer uh, consumer first from in, in respect to trust and building choice and transparency. I think that's the way to thrive because the their pressures are coming from all different sides. So regulators, either FTC, state laws, global regulations. uh, There's pressures that um, comes from consumer advocacy groups. There's a lot of consumer uh, sort of savviness towards data and privacy. Different tech companies, big tech, are being more um, forefront in terms of various Privacy-related practices. So, for anybody in the ads in the ad ecosystem, it's important for for them to really embrace it at this time. and And uh, this is a critical time, as opposed to um, sort of trying to shy away from it. it. it It can be it can be positioned as a as an advantage, as opposed to uh, sort of a challenge
2: think that's a good way to end but i'm gonna be an idiot and say some goofy things (laughs) even though you could have dropped the mic at that i was listening to what you were saying but i'm a nerd therefore was also coming up with names for our potential startup about lawyers reading privacy policies to help children fall asleep. so i love alliteration maybe some sleepy solicitors that's one dozy defenders maybe Lim- I, my favorite is liminal liminal lawyers you know like liminal dream state uh so i'm gonna leave that with you yeah <laughs> and you can and we would we'll
0: do, do a focus group test of what kids would actually use
2: <laughs> i mean I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure kids would use any of this but yeah. um but thank you for humoring me and thank you for being on the podcast
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here and I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: This episode was brought to you by AdsWiz. AdsWiz delivers a majority of the world's audio ads through award-winning technology for audio publishers, podcasters, and advertisers of all sizes. AdsWiz creates technology for a sound forward world.